It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we're back. It's uh, about 6.20 Wednesday night, Central Time. Uh, we're taping this about three, three and a half days before LSU's uh, 11 a.m. Gross, 11 a.m. Disgusting. 11 a.m. Uh, home game against Florida. It's Sneaky Good Podcast. I believe this is episode 102. Um, we don't have a full crew tonight. It's just me, Zachary Junda, editing of And the Valley Shook. As always, we got our man Podcat behind the scenes, uh, producing for us, recording for us. And thankfully, we have, as usual, our main man, Max Toscano, our X's and O's guru. Um, Max, how was your weekend? Um, you, were, uh, you were tweeting through it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, so I, <laughs> I watched the first half of the game. Then I went out because we had a big dance on campus. I went out, uh, drank irresponsibly. Um, and you know, I got back to bed at like one thirty two a.m. to find out that Texas A&M had beaten Alabama. Um, so I was still in a bit of a, a haze at that point. So I didn't really believe, I didn't believe it. So yeah, then, uh, so I was basically, uh, at one point just calling anybody who told me that the score was real, a liar. Then I woke up and it was real. Uh, so that's, that was crazy. I definitely believed the LSU score though, because I watched the first half. And then I found out that Kayshawn Boutte had been lost for the season. Didn't believe that either. Uh, because like, how could that happen? That's such a, a cartoonishly cruel blow to this LSU team. Um, and then I woke up on Sunday, I had to go to a club baseball game and, uh, yeah. Did you win? What a weekend. We did not. We got mercy. Oh, shit. <laughs> God. Yeah, we are not good. Um, that's that's kind of how things are with LSU. Um, I personally, I, I also went to the game, or I went to the game so I could confirm with my own two eyes that, yes, LSU got run it over, something fierce by Kentucky Saturday night. Um, I did not stay for the entire game. Um there was one, no point, and two, my friend and I, we made it all in a day trip. We didn't get a hotel, um, and I live in Nashville. I live just close enough to make the trip in a day and back. It's only three hours. However, uh, the trip wound up taking about six hours because somewhere around the Tennessee-Kentucky border, there's some kind of an accident, and I-65 South was at a standstill, and we were in park on the interstate for about an hour and 45 minutes. Um I did not see the Keishon Butte injury. Um, I'm weirdly thankful for that. I, I, I couldn't imagine getting steamrolled, just having a miserable night up there and seeing the best player on your team, uh, his, his ankle, do things that ankle shouldn't. Um, the only spin zone, I guess, and again, neither of us saw this, I guess thankfully it's an ankle injury, not an Achilles injury. Right. That's what it sounded like when it first happened and – you know, Achilles are so far by and away a much more 
devastating blow than a, than an ankle injury. Not that I'm trying to mitigate the, 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 what he's going through, but you know, that, that I don't know what the timetable is, but when I, when I was hearing Achilles, I thought, Oh man, this is the last night we're going to see Butte play in an LSU uniform. Yeah, me too. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of like the thing I thought of was Mike Soroka, the pitcher for the Braves who, uh, like I think April of 2020, he steps off the hill to uh, cover first base and just pops his Achilles on his first step. He has not pitched since. So that's and that's pitching. That's not playing receiver. Yeah, and and my my only experience with it um, is Demarcus Cousins when he played for the Pelicans. He blew out his Achilles on just such a freak play when he was with the Pelicans with like two seconds left in the game and a game that was over. And Cousins hasn't been the same. So, you know, when I hear Achilles, I, I reflex. Um, and obviously it sounds like you, you do the same because it's it's a yeah. bitch of an injury. And I, again, at least it's not that bad for Keishon Butte. Um, what, what are your big takeaways from the game from Saturday, Max? There's not a whole lot to talk about. It seems like more all people want to do is talk about whatever coaching chain, change whenever that comes. But – on the field, what what did you see, or what didn't you see, rather? Well, you know, what happened on defense was kind of what I expected to happen at some point. I mean, it pretty much already happened against UCLA, but I sort of expected it to happen even as people were saying, oh, the defense is rounding into shape. It doesn't look that bad. It's certainly not the problem. Like, they still play in the same, you know, two even fronts all the time. Uh they play cover one all the time. They don't really – well, not like – I would say like 80% of their snaps, which is basically all the time. Uh, and, you know, they don't rotate into it like Alabama does, like Georgia does. They just they just get out there. They're in there over and under fronts. They're in cover one. They're not – they're completely static. And, like, eventually, like, you know, you realize they're not going to shift out of it and you start – you know, changing things up formationally, start running wide zone on them. And that's what Kentucky did. They got into those YY sets that I wrote about. So where you put two tight ends on the end of the formation on one side, you can create extra gaps that way. And like with, with LSU not stemming their fronts, which is, you know, moving guys over a gap or two or shifting the front, like you can just get in those YY sets, have them out gapped and, and just run the ball right down their throats. And that's pretty much what they did. Like it wasn't difficult for Kentucky. It certainly wasn't difficult for Will Levis, even though he put up a nice, uh, nice stat line. Like he was just, you know, flipping to wide open guys off play action. It was, it was, it was just, it was just way too easy for an offense that I really don't think is that good. Max, for the uninformed, what, what does a YY set mean? Oh yeah, a YY set is is two. So you get two tight ends attached to the formation on one side. So it's like it's just two tight ends lined up next to each other to create two extra gaps. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's terminology I'm not familiar with, and that's why I'm super glad that we have you part of the team to help break this stuff down for us. Um, me, I, I'm nowhere near the analytical type of film guy that you are or others are. It's just from the jump, I could tell uh, this isn't going to work. What, once uh, it, was, and it was that first drive, and, and Podcat, I wonder if you'll agree, uh, it kind of felt like, a worse version of that 2014 or 15 Arkansas game when LSU got shut out 17-0. In that 14 game, 
Uh, the first play of the game, I believe, the ball got snapped over Anthony Jennings' head, and it went about 10 yards backwards, and, and it was a wrap from there. This was a little bit different. LSU was driving on their first drive of the game, but Max Johnson gets strip sacked, and right there my friend and I said, oh, that's it. Um, and, and it just it, it never was a game after that. It, it was so frustrating because it was only a 14-0 game at the half, if I remember right, and – not that Kentucky was dying to give it away, but they weren't they weren't pulling away either. Um, Max, what do you owe the defensive line issues to? Because I, I even wrote in some of the, the preseason stuff for Valley Shook, um, I was really high on the defensive front. I was high on the Andre Carter hire. I, I went as far as to say that I thought this year's defensive line could be like a 2007, 2011 type of good and. And yeah, they padded their stats against McNeese State and Central Michigan, but now it's starting to look like, you know, once they they started punching in their weight class, it something's not working. What what do you owe that to? Well, I mean, it's 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 scheme. Like this is not a player issue. This should be one of the better uh, defensive lines in the country. You know, I don't I don't think it was ever going to be two thousand seven good simply because the best of their talent is still young. Like, Mason Smith is still a true freshman. He's never going to beat Glenn Dorsey right away. But, like, I mean, it, it's just that they're in the same two fronts all of the time. And if you get somebody who can, on the offensive line, block you a little bit, like, provided that you are not just steamrolling guys and making plays in the backfield simply because they can't match up with you, like, teams are just going to scheme around that. Like, it's not, it's not 2008 where you can just kind of – this is what, like, this is – what teams were doing, you know, 12 years ago up front. Like this is what Pete Carroll was doing at USC, which is why I think Ed Ogeron is so married to it. Uh, like, so Seth and Deontay Lee on their podcast, on their uh, PFF2 High podcast, we're talking about the LSU offense and how Ed Ogeron has narrativized the 2019 team and figured out, you know, in his head that if we just do what they did, if we just run the 2019 offense, which, by the way, they're not really doing. Like, there's a lot of stuff they did in 2019 schematically that they're not still doing. And But he figured out that if we just do that, we will be like that because that's it's the system. That's what that's how you win national titles. And, like, so he, he's kind of created this narrative in his head about that offense. I think he's done the same thing about Pete Carroll defense he used to work under. Um where you play four down, you play even fronts, you play cover one, um, and you just, you know, you man up on guys and you don't, you know, you don't really do a whole lot. You just be more talented. And like they're talented. Well, they were before everybody died, but they're not, they're not that talented. They're not, they're not Alabama 2011. And honestly, even Alabama's not doing this stuff. Georgia's not doing this stuff. Like Georgia runs, you know, a bunch of different fronts. Like they'll run three down fronts. They'll run, you know, tight front. They'll run, you know, they'll run over and under two. Like they'll run all of these fronts. They'll get into bear. They'll do anything. They are very multiple up front. They're very flexible. And like the LSU defense is just so static that like, if you can block them a little bit, if you are similarly talented and there are going to be teams that are similarly talented. You can run on them, like because you can you can do all these things schematically to create extra gaps. You know, leave the defensive. Like I think this weekend we're going to see a ton of zone read 
Like they're gonna, I think Dan Mullen's gonna really turn it back to like 2013 when teams are running zone and power read right down people's throats, and like it's because you know you're in these same four down fronts, these same four two five personnel groupings, and the same kind of cover one shell. It's kind of crazy. Like it's 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 very much like the end of last year. So I think it's an Orgeron yeah. problem. I'm sorry, say that again. I think it's an Orgeron problem. I think he's married to this, you know, Pete Carroll style of defense, and he's he's not going to change. That's what he wanted to do after 2019 when he thought he was invincible, and he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just goes back to, and I'm, this isn't an original idea. This has been spouted from all, all sorts of publications and media and Baton Rouge and college football at, at large. Orgeron can't either can't put together a good staff or doesn't know how to put together a good staff because his whole thing is do the 19 thing. Okay. Well, how, uh, we'll, 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 we'll hire a guy that Joe Brady knows. Okay. What else? Uh, we'll, we'll hire a defensive guy that uh, Dave Aranda told me to hire or Pete Carroll told me to hire. Okay. Well, who do you want to hire Ed? And, and he, it's, it's just, it seems like he doesn't know what he wants except other than, well, I want the best team ever. Well, so do I, Ed. You know, so do all of us. I, I want that to happen again and again, but that's not going to happen again. And that ultimately, ultimately, is going to be why he's going to get fired. And yeah. really, now with Orgeron, it's a matter of when, not if. And I and we were talking about this before we started taping. I'm stunned this are this hasn't already happened. And and I've heard a myriad of reasons. One being, well, they don't know who the interim co- coach is going to be. I'm sorry, I think that's a lame reason. That that's gonna keep you from making a move that needs to happen and the the longer he stays the worse this is going to get and the whole we don't know who's going to be the the interim I, I i think that's a lame excuse yeah i mean you know who the head coach is how can it be worse at this point like it like everybody is you know falling out of the sky with injuries your team is your team just got blown up by a kentucky team who beat chattanooga by one score like, what's the difference? Like, what's the worst that can happen? You go four and eight. You're going four and eight anyway. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe five and seven, but yeah. I mean, may, yeah, maybe, I'm, I'm maybe, not, maybe. And I'm not trying to like belittle like a Corey Raymond or a Mickey Joseph or one of the coordinators, Pete's, Durante Jones, Greg McMahon, anybody. But it's like you said. I'm sorry, I don't see a difference in any of those those guys taking over to coach out these last six games. I, I don't see it. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think Corey Raymond at least deserves that little, you know, tribute for his, well, I mean, I don't know if that's a tribute as much as it is. I mean, it's some tribute, you know, go coach this shell of a football team. But like, you know, I think I, I, I don't care who the interim is at this point. I, I don't, I don't care that you're right. That is a bad excuse. Like I'll do it. I don't care. Well, we'll all do it. And again, it can't be any worse. Um, It's just, it's amazing how much things have bottomed out in not even a 24 month span. It's, it's getting harder and harder to ignore the, the, uh, the Ed Orgeron, Gene Chizik or Larry Coker parallels. This is a very much a real thing. And it's going to end the same way it ended with Chizik, him getting removed within two years of a national championship season. Um, are there any, is there any positives we can 
possibly see these last six games, Max. I mean, I, I, I don't I, – let's, let's say this. I'm going to set the over-under bar for wins for the last seven games at 0.5. Yeah, they'll be – Over-under. Well, I'll take the over. Or one, sorry, 1.5. 1.5. Oh, under. Hard under. Yeah. Hard under. Like, right. like one, another thing that, you know, Deontay Leon, he and Seth's podcast mentioned is that people aren't ready for how badly Arkansas is going to tear LSU apart. Like, that is a game LSU fans are used to either winning or losing in really, really weird, fluky fashion, which whatever. But Arkansas is about to go in and beat them, like, 45 nothing. Yeah. Especially if um, – especially at, at that point, you're looking at LSU on a – I, I believe the schedule is Florida, which is going to be a loss. Ole Miss is probably going to be a loss. Alabama is going to be a loss. Couple that with the Kentucky – and Auburn losses, you're going to catch an LSU team on a five-game losing streak. That's if they're not already checked out now, they'll definitely be checked out by then. Who knows what in, other injuries are going to come about? Um, for those who have been under a rock, like Max was saying earlier, when half the roster died, just this week alone, we've lost Keishon Butte to an ankle injury, and just today it was announced that both Ali Gay and uh, Elias Ricks are going to have shoulder uh, surgeries for torn labrums. Both of those guys will also be out for uh, the remainder of the 2021 season. There's a there's a dearth of talent, but it's 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 diminishing quickly between injuries and I, I'm not calling them opt outs because they are legitimate injuries. But it sure feels like, and we were saying this on the chat earlier today. We were saying this before we started taping. It sure feels like either mom and dad or coaches or the, the, the players themselves are looking at these injuries and saying, man, why am I going to try and rehab for a couple of weeks, put this off and come back to this? What am I coming back to a four and eight, five and seven best case team? I, I think it's the right move to get the surgery. Oh, it's totally the right move. I'd, if I were on this team, I'd be getting surgery for like a headache. I mean, I'd be like, look, coach, I can't go. I got to go get surgery. And, you know, I just have like a, a hangnail. But I got I mean, to get my wisdom teeth out. Yeah. I can't, yeah you you got to get them put back in and then taken back yeah, out. Just, just to take them out. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just like, no, I, 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 like, I don't know if that's the case because I, I don't know anything. It could totally not be the case. But, like, that's, I, I think that's the right move. Like, it, there's no reason not to. And it's not like they're, you know, giving up on the program either, which again, I don't know if I would blame them for. Like I don't I'm not gonna blame any transfers after this year. Like I'm not gonna blame Eli Ricks if he transfers. I'm not gonna blame uh, you know, whoever else transfers. Whoever, you know, whoever else was in a tight recruiting battle, maybe they like the other school too, and they, they come calling, kind of like Eric Gilbert did, although that was for different reasons. Yeah. But like um, yeah, I mean like I get it. Just just get the surgery, whatever it is. Get surgery for it. I think that's something that LSU fans need to be prepared for because they see currently on 247. Let me actually look it up. LSU should have, I don't know, somewhere with the in the top five, top ten recruiting class for this cycle. I'm surprised it's still this high. And I'm and I'm just waiting for the moment. I don't know what the what what's gonna set it off, but I fear this class is going to uh, fiz- uh, diminish, and I fear there's going to be attrition, uh, like you said, to the portal. 
um, early entrance to the NFL. And, and I think that's the biggest shame. We, we all celebrated last, uh, last spring, last summer, when all these guys who could have come left for the NFL came back for a fourth year, fifth year, even sixth year. And, and that's something that, yeah, that's, this is very LSU, that's something that like LSU especially has been really bogged down by over the years with guys leaving uh, early and whether or not they should have, that's not for us to decide, but, you know, when you see guys like uh, like Sadiq Charles leaving early and he gets picked in the fourth round or fifth round and is like the second string right tackle for Washington, you know, that that's a guy that probably should have come back for another year. Well, that changed last offseason. You know, Ali Gay came back. Uh, Darren Rosenthal, before he transferred, came back. Uh, the whole offensive line essentially came back. I think that's going to totally flip this summer or this spring, dep- depending, of course, on who comes in at head coach. Because I I just I can't imagine a scenario where Edward Ron is back on the sidelines, um, not an LSU sideline in twenty twenty two at least. So maybe whoever they get to replace him can sell a new vision, a new hope, a new direction for the program. But roster management has been a plague on LSU this past couple of years, and it it's probably going to get worse unless they get like an absolute slam dunk type of hire. Yeah, I agree. And and the good thing about this recruiting class is that a handful of the top guys seem to be real program guys. Like Walker Howard's a legacy, Will Campbell's a Louisiana kid. But like, so yeah, I think it'll dip into the like probably like 10, 11 range, but it's still going to be, I think, decent. Uh, I don't think it's going to hemorrhage as much as other classes would. But at the same time, like, yeah, I think I think roster attrition is going to be tough. I think a lot of guys are going to transfer. But, like, I still think that, you know, you can return guys. Like, like I think Jack Besh will stay. Like, he's a he's an LSU kid. I think Kayshawn Boutte, given the injury, I mean, I don't know. Like, he could tra- I, he could transfer. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him if he transferred to, like, Oklahoma or Alabama um, or, you know, replacing one of Olave and Wilson at Ohio State. He could go wherever he wants. But, like, you know, I think if they make, you know, a good hire, say Lane Kiffin, uh, I think, like, I think he would want to play for Lane Kiffin potentially. I, like, and, you know, he's a Louisiana kid too. So, like, that's that's kind of the uh, the one, you know, the one good thing about LSU kind of resisting the – going national and staying super regional and recruiting is that like a lot of these kids are like are committed to the school as much as they are committed to the coach. But, you know, maybe I'm totally wrong and it's going to fall apart. But like I, I, I bet a, a good new hire is going to be able to convince some people to stay. No, and I, I think you're right. And I think one thing that can't be ignored, especially in this particular recruiting cycle, I mean, Louisiana is always going to be, one of the most talent rich states there is this year is is an especially rich year with, you know, Walker Howard and, and Will Campbell, especially at the top and uh, Jacoby Matthews, who may or not be coming anymore, uh, who was previously committed, now decommitted. And, you know, if you see the way things are going now, yeah, yeah probably want to leave. But to your point about uh, not having to go outside the region too much, that's one of the biggest advantages LSU is always going to have it's it's being the only um, major major football program in the state of Louisiana and and kids most of these kids want to stay as close to them as possible so 
mom and dad and, and siblings and extended family and girlfriend and friends and whoever, they can all go within an hour to three hour drive and you can still stay home. So right. I think that might be the only saving grace. Um, like I said, I agree about like the Jack Besh probably wasn't going to transfer. I mean, Jack Besh is uh, either his dad or his uncle played at LSU. Yeah, like, he's a legacy. Uncle. I don't worry about that. Um, I also, I do wonder though, depending on when they get the hire. And I think the, the win of the hire is so important, especially with, uh, I mean, Max early signing day is about two months away. I know. I hate that. Well, I like, um, I like early signing day, but I really hate it right now. <laughs> yeah. But if you can, if, if you get the timeline right and you have the, the new person in place by December, Thanksgiving, whenever, you might see a revitalization in the recruiting because I, I look to the baseball with uh, Jay Johnson. LSU always could pull top kids, whether it be Paul Maneri, Smoke LaBelle, Skip Barman, Jay Johnson, whoever. With Johnson back in the fold or in the fold, you've seen kind of a boon. I'm wondering if something like that happens again, again, depending on if Scott Woodward plays this correctly, if he gets his man Kiffin, uh, Mel Tucker, uh, oh, Billy Mel, Napier, wait, whoever. Mel Tucker. I, I, I just, I'm just saying, yeah, 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 whoever. If you get the right guy within a timely manner, and you can sell to these kids a Jacoby Matthews, uh, a Quincy Wigger, uh, Wiggins. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. Um, uh, a Demon Tap. If you get that guy and say, "Hey, this is going to be y'all's guy," we just have to wait for all the uh, I's to dot and T's to cross. Maybe then you can salvage, which is currently about a top five class, but still, worst case, is a top 10 class. Yeah, especially if you can retain a couple of position coaches. Like, I think if they can keep, I mean, if they can keep Corey Raymond in the fold, which, you know, we talked about last podcast is not the expectation. But, like, if they can keep Corey Raymond, if they can keep Mickey Joseph, like, that could that could help a little bit. But like, yeah, I think I think what people are really going to be looking for is a sense of stability, direction, and you know, positive energy. And I think if you kind of change the narrative, you kind of change the vibe around the program. I think, I think you can hold on to a few guys. I don't think you're going to go get anyone, but like, you know, maybe you'll pick up a couple transfers from that guy's old school. But. Yeah, I, I, I think what people are really going to be looking for is is that sense of stability and direction. And I think if you can if you can reestablish that very quickly, you'll be like they'll be fine. Like people are committed to the program, it'll be fine. It won't be a disaster. You'll have another top fifteen recruiting class, and you know if you can keep most of your guys that are already there in the fold, you'll have a decently talented roster as well. So it's not going to be a you know, it's going to be more. It could be more of a Dan Mullen style at Florida rebuild than say a you know Florida State one that is just never ending. If they get the coaching hire right, Max, and obviously there's a whole bunch of changes that are going to be coming in 2022 with coach and coaching staff and players. But in theory, what could what could the ceiling be for a 2022 team? Well, I mean, like, oh, it, it, it depends on ro- – that, that, that's going to totally depend on roster. But, like, if they keep guys, I think they could be, like, a 9-3, and three, potentially 10-2 and two team. Like, they have the guys for it. Like, that, you could be starting Garrett Nussmeyer at 
at quarterback, which is or Walker Howard potentially, which is pretty great. You could have Brian Thomas Jr., of course, Keyshawn Boutte, hopefully, Jack Besh, Chris Hilton, Deion Smith at receiver, which is loaded with the right, you know, offensive coach. That could be one of the that that's that's enough to carry an offense. Um so like you, you have forgot somebody, Max. You forgot Wait, a certain receiver that uh, we might. Oh, uh, Malik Neighbors. Yeah, no, he looks pretty good. That's that's my guy. Uh, he's, a, he's big, athletic. He looks pretty good. Uh, for the, but yeah, for the like, listeners, for the listeners, uh, Max bet me if Malik Neighbors ever made an all-conferencing, he'd Venmo me a hundred dollars. So we're all aboard the Malik Neighbors train. Yeah, I mean, but like, that's that's hard. Like, you know how many good receivers are in the SEC? Like, how good Malik Neighbors? I mean, he maybe. He's certainly got the physical ability. Like he's tall, he's really quick. He actually looks pretty good. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but like, yeah, again, I, I, can, sorry, continuing the uh, the look down of the roster. Problem is the offensive line. Um, but like, I think a better system, a more offensive line friendly system, more RPOs, more play action, um, all that kind of stuff that you know Lane Kiffin does at Ole Miss. Um, it, it would help, and you could also go hunt in the transfer portal pretty aggressively and I think get at least a couple guys that are serviceable and creep back toward average, which is sort of where you need to be on the offensive line. Like, yes, you'd rather be great, but if you can creep back toward average, you can still have a really good offense. Yeah, and luckily the staff has done a pretty good job of recruiting offensive linemen this year. Obviously you still have to hold on to him, but, uh, but it looks like Will Campbell is going to sign no matter what. He's – Plans on being an early an early enrollee, which he's going to start know, right I, away too. I think. Yeah, if if he if he enrolls in January, there's a real good chance to see Will Campbell uh, take the first snap against Florida State come sep- uh, next September. Uh, Emory Jones went to, is at Catholic High. I sincerely doubt a Baton Rouge kid that close to campus is going to defect. Uh, and like uh, like uh, oh, like um, that like Chris uh, Christian Harris. Ah, damn it! Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's yep. a rough one. Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, and it's it's a uh, Bo Bordelon, the offensive lineman. He he's uh, he's at Isidore Newman in New Orleans. He's he's a legacy. I, I highly doubt that someone like Bordelon would. Isn't he also like uh, a three star too? Yeah, he also does have a whole host of offers. So right, you know, so he's maybe not the, he's committed to the school. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I think we're both in agreement that because. Maybe yeah, we're all aboard. Let's have Will Campbell start against Florida State. But if if Emory Jones and Bordelon are starting alongside, uh, I don't know Charles Turner and Marlon Martinez or Xavier Hill or whoever, that you're you're going to be in the same spot you are this year that you were in last year that you were in 2018. I, the the goal come this winter, come this spring, this summer, if it, if it takes that long hit that transfer portal and just get as many offensive linemen yeah. as you can to kind of bolster this group. And um, preferably maybe not those who played at Ivy league schools. No disrespect. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, Liam Chan no, is a nice guy, but yeah. Yeah. You gotta get like, you gotta, you gotta go get big time transfers on the offensive line at this point. But, like, again, it's, you don't have to get to great like you do at, at quarterback and at, skill posi- and at skill positions. Like, you have to get to decent. Just try to get to decent next year and then kind of build on that, build around Will Campbell. And, you know, if you have, you know, 
good development along the offensive line, which obviously they do not now, they could get they could get okay, and, and they could get good pretty quickly. When you have what they have at the skill positions and at quarterback, you know, provided they they put them in a system that's quarterback friendly, unlike the just absolutely hostile one they run now, then yeah, they could be they could be really good. And defensively, they can, if they make a really, really good defensive coordinator hire, they could be good as soon as immediately. Do you think a, def- a defensive coordinator change is coming? Because I- I'm expecting it, if nothing else, because you get, you're going to get a new head coach, and he's almost definitely going to want his pick, uh, his guys for all these important positions, and and I, I sincerely doubt they'll want um, a Durante Jones who hadn't called plays until the, until what was it? 2009 at Bowie state and at yeah. the D2 level the, the, and stuff like that. I just, I can't get over. And part of it's LSU's own doing that they bungled the, the, uh, the Freeman hire or the, the, the mishire to Freeman. I, I'm blanking on his first name, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Yeah. Now uh, the Ryan Nielsen thing, how, how is LSU one of the blues of blue blood programs how are you settling on? And again, I hate to use the word settling because Durante Jones knows more football than I'll ever know. But how are you settling on a former D two defensive coordinator who is a position coach who hadn't done it in close to a decade? I just I, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, like especially when you basically interviewed Zach Garnett and then said like, no, it's okay. Like Zach Garnett, Zach. I don't care how bad. I don't care if he, you know, pepper sprayed. Scott Woodward and Ed Ogeron in that interview, he would have been a pretty good hire. Like, I I just don't understand how you sort of get there. Like, and I also don't understand how you're at a point where you're just outsourcing your hires to your more successful former assistants. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you're like, all right, Um, Joe Brady, tell me who to hire. Because, like, if I were Joe Brady, you know – I would have been a little conflicted because I would have told him, like, you know, Ed, you can't try to do this without Joe Burrow. Um, but you know, I would have wanted to help my guy out, which he did, but like, yeah, there's no, no, there's no way after what's about to happen over the next several, whatever, however many weeks are left in the season to this defense, Durante Jones is going to get retained. Like they're going to give up like 50 to Ole Miss. They're going to give up like 50 to Alabama. They're going to give up like 40 to Arkansas. Like, I mean, who's going to cover Traylon Burks, Darren Evans. All right. And it would, yep. when if you're if you're gonna play cover one as much as you do without Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks, you are going to get destroyed by everyone. It's gonna be it's gonna be ugly. There's no way you're gonna be able to justify, you know, keeping that defensive coordinator around. Don't you think though? Like, I, and and it's it's nobody. It's just it is what it is. But don't you think the constant rotating of defensive coordinators because th- this will be. If there is a change, let's it be four years in a row where LSU's got a defensive coordinator. It's Aranda in 19, Pelini in 20, Durante Jones in 21, and then X in 22. Like, And it goes back to the word you said earlier. Stability, is just, I think, is the biggest thing for this hire. Like, hey, we got to get this thing right, and we have to make sure this thing holds firm. And, and I know college football, it's a fluid thing, and guys are always taking jobs. And you, and you want guys to take jobs because that means they're they've been good at what they did, but you you got to just kind of hold firm for two or three seasons. You know, the, 
a less you know, miles type of run, yeah. that's probably not going to happen again. 11 years is a long time. And, and Ed's been here six years, five years. That, that's yeah. a long time, but you just need some stability. Yeah, I mean, I get it. But at the same time, like bad is inherently unstable. So like if, if, if you keep keep a guy around for the sake of stability after he got ripped by every offense, you know, west of the Mississippi, like, or east, you know, because Florida, but like, you can't keep that around and then go give up a million points again next year. Like that's, that's inherently unstable. Bad is always unstable. And then, and speaking of bad, I'm curious because, and let's, let's kind of move and talk about Florida a little bit. I'm really curious how bad um, the, the environment's going to be Saturday. Cause I mean, for starters, it's, it's an 11 a.m. game and, you know, that that's always going to rub LSU fans the wrong way. But the way things have gone, and I, I just saw ESPN's little ticker that Florida's favored by 11.5 points. They've got a 72% chance to win per their FPI thing. I can't – I can't – I'm curious to see what it's going to look like. I can't imagine there's going to be more than maybe 70,000. Even that seems high fan-wise. Yeah, no, it's going to be totally dead. Like, it's going to be like the uh, – remember the South Carolina flood game that got rescheduled last minute to Baton Rouge and nobody was there? I mean, it's kind of going to be like that. It's going to be dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just also just wonder with the – because I, I can't find a single, like, Orgeron defender currently. Once Florida gets up, like, even like 3 nothing, the boos are going to start – and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be heard, and it's going to be, it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And I just wonder how long Scott Woodward can go on with the "this is fine" dog gift thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know what the buyout situation is. Like, I don't know if it, if it's different in season versus out of season. And I, I know Scott Woodward kind of likes to have his plan when he makes these, like, his plan in place when he makes these decisions. But at the same time, like, it's, yeah, it becomes indefensible at a certain point. Like, we were talking about this before before the the taping started, but, like, I think when they officially fall out of bowl eligibility, I think that's going to be a good time to do it. Yeah, so right around that time would be, let's see, they're 3-3 three and three right now. You assume you lose to Ole Miss in Florida, so you'll be three and five. So you won't technically be out of bowl eligibility by the bye week in Alabama. But I mean, come on, who are we kidding? They're going to beat Alabama and, and save the season. That's that's not right. going to happen. So I wonder if if it's the bye week, if that's the move, and even that seems like it's three weeks too late. Yeah, I, honestly, I think they should have done it after Kentucky, but it, but it, but they should certainly already be kind of contacting candidates. Yeah, there, there is a difference just because um, Orgeron's still on the sideline does not mean that Woodward isn't putting on the feelers. And, and I would bet I'd bet everything I have that he that the wheels are already started moving. And because remember with uh, with women's basketball, the day after Nikki Fargus said, I'm going to take a WNBA job. Boom. Kim Mulkey's hired. Right. You mean Scott Woodward got her in a day? No, this had to have happened long in advance. And I'm assuming it's, it's just a more drawn out process. It's just a matter of when it all comes to light and and who he ultimately settles on. Yeah, I, I, 
Yeah, and, and who takes the job? Like, I mean, it, it's certainly an extremely desirable job, probably the most desirable job in the country. I mean, your last three coaches, including two, you know, somewhat sketchy football coaches, won national titles here. Like, what Nick Saban built seems pretty durable. So, I mean, look, I would take the LSU job over the USC job. But at the same time, like, they've already kind of been contacting people because they fired Clay Helton like three weeks ago. Yeah. But I I don't know if that makes a difference. I think it's the best job. Definitely that's going to become available. I mean, I don't know who else is going to get the axe come season end, but where Simon Orgeron is going to be one of them. And you get to be at an SEC school where you're the only, not only SEC school in your own state, you're the only, again, like I said earlier, you're the only uh, major major conference school in your in your state in a town rich state like Louisiana, um, where you can just you drive an hour and there's a five star in either any direction. You know, um, who what would you like to see them do higher wise, Max? I know we can talk about this for weeks ad nauseum, but like in the in the here and now, if you had if you're Scott Woodward. Who are you contacting? Who are you hoping you settle on? And if you can't get like a top group, who's like your, like, if these guys don't, here's my next best hope. Yeah, I mean, my first calls are going to be Lane Kiffin and James Franklin. I mean, James Franklin, I think it's a, is a safer pick. Uh, but like, there's no denying like the fact that the guys built a pretty solid winner at Penn State. Like they'll reliably go to New Year's Six Bowls even though they basically have their own Alabama. Um, so they're, they're not in the less miles kind of LSU situation, but they're, they're, they're like a rung above it. They're sort of in the Dan Mullen, Florida situation, except they recruit a little bit better. Uh, so he's like, he's a, he's a, a player in recruiting despite not being in a great state. Like Pennsylvania is, is not Pennsylvania. Like there are some players, but it's not, I mean, it's not great. It's not Louisiana. It's not Georgia. It's not Florida. So, like, I think if you give him a boost in kind of home area talent, that'll help. Uh, so I think I think James Franklin is a is a low risk, you know, medium to high reward. Like, look, if Ed Orgeron and Les Miles can win a national title here, let's not kid ourselves. James Franklin can. Yeah. Um but Lane but Lane Kiffin, I think, is the the highest upside option. Uh, he's a proven innovator offensively. Um, like he was running, you know, a spread option type attack at Alabama with Jalen Hurts. Now, you know, he hired Jeff Lebby uh, from UCF and is kind of running more of a uh, Art Bryles tree kind of play action, RPO deep shot offense. Um, and like so, so he's a, he's a proven innovator. He's in front of offensive trends. You know, he's done this for you know over a decade now, where he's been in front of them. So, so I like that. Certainly, that's certainly not everything. Um, but what he's proven to me, at least over, and I, I hate to say this again because we said this with Ogeron, but like he's proven to me that he's grown up, um, and he's proven to me that like he can run a program at a high level like like is Ole Miss an LSU level program no but they play in the same division and they are better than LSU is and they're good like they they obviously yeah they got kind of their brains beat in by Alabama but they were a couple D1 
differently executed fourth and ones away. And I think he made the right call. I like that aggressiveness, but like, you know, I think that's in keeping with what the data will tell you. But like, there are a couple of, they're converting a couple of those away from making that a game. I think you play that game 10 times, it's more of a game the other times. So I think Lane Kiffin has got that Ole Miss program performing at a really high level right now. Um, I think with the two teams going to the playoff, probably, unless Alabama loses to Georgia. Wait, that actually might happen. Um, anyway, if, if two Wait teams, a second. <laughs> if two teams, if two teams go to the playoff, Ole Miss is looking at a Sugar Bowl bid right now. Unless that's a playoff game, I don't know. But like, so I think they're like he's got Ole Miss two years after kind of being a tire fire, looking at a potential New Year's Six bid, and he's got he's got them back to where they were with Hugh Freeze, um. And, like, you know, Hugh Freeze did a pretty good job there. I'm not saying hire Hugh Freeze, obviously not. But, like, getting it back to that level when that felt like such a high watermark over, like, the last decade of Ole Miss football, I think is pretty impressive. So so I think I think that's the high upside move. I just – I love what he does on offense. I think with LSU talent, it'll, it'll be really, really incredible. Um, the question is defense. Uh, their defense last year was one of the worst in the country – it's it's much better this year, but it's still not great. And they have DJ Durkin, which is not not a, not really an option. I would not let him bring DJ Durkin. So like, I mean, that's that's the big question there. Like we know James Franklin kind of gets it done on both sides of the ball. Uh, he has Brent Pry as his defensive coordinator, who is fantastic. Um, he's done a great great job there. Their defense is really good again. So, I mean, I think the safer pick is Franklin, and if you put a gun to my head, I would say Franklin, but, like, Lane Kiffin is the, I think, the home run swing here, whereas James Franklin's kind of a triple. Um, But, you know, when you take home run swings, you kind of strike out a little bit more. What do you make of, um, and speaking of defense, a lot of people are saying bring Aranda back home. I, I don't know about that. He, I mean, he, he's, he's yeah, he has a history now. I mean, it's but it's only two years, and he, he's doing he's doing a good job with Baylor. Baylor, um, I think they were ranked or were previously ranked before they lost Oklahoma State, but they have a game with BYU, um, and they're they're playing well. I just I think that I don't want to say it's too safe, but it's it's kind of the higher where I mean, it's like I said with Durante Jones. Why are you signing for something like that? I mean, it's just, it's LSU, man. Like jobs like this don't come open all the time and, yeah, right. you, and you can take these home run swings and you, and you can get a home run type of hire. And, and I love Dave Aranda for all that he did for LSU. He's a great defensive coordinator and he's shown to be a great head coach or at least showing it. But I, I think you gotta, go, gotta go bigger. Yeah, I agree. We gotta go bigger. I think the Dave Aranda sample size is a little small. I know like the Lane Kiffin sample size is small too, but like, you know, he has, they took it. They definitely took a leap forward in his first year there, and then took another one this year. Baylor's certainly taking a leap forward, but at the same time, like Lane Lane Kiffin, you know, isn't known for being a recruiter, but like Dave Aranda is kind of known for not really being a recruiter, and I think that limits his upside. Like I think if he's going to fill out a Matt Campbell type role where he, you know, recruits okay, develops extremely well, and schemes really well and has a good offensive coordinator, 
I think like, okay, yeah, you can really do something with that. But like, if you're at LSU, like you have to recruit at an absurd level. Um, and, and Franklin's proven prowess as a recruiter is at a high level is one reason I think that he's, you know, just right up there with Lane Kiffin, possibly even higher on my preference list. But like Dave Aranda is a great, great football coach, elite defensive schemer, great head coach, did a great job hiring Jeff Grimes as offensive coordinator because uh, Jeff Grimes is awesome. I would love Jeff Grimes back. But yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I feel like you could do, I feel like you could go bigger than that. Um, I don't want it to be Matt Campbell because he doesn't recruit very well. Although granted, you know, he's recruiting to Ames, Iowa. Like that's, that's, that's rough. But, but still, I mean, and then there's, there's Billy Napier, um, who I think Billy Napier's, I think the big settle option for me, like quote unquote settle. He's a great coach. Um, you know, he's done great things offensively and he's got a really, really great defensive coordinator with him, Patrick Tony. So like, and he knows the area. That's an underrated thing. Like he, he's at the same schools recruiting kids that Ed Ogeron is. He's recruiting different kids, but you know, he's at the same schools. He's, he's talking to those same coaches. He already has those relationships. That's going to potentially be a, um, that's going to be a difference maker in recruiting. We know he can scheme on both sides of the ball. So my worry with those kind of hires is that we've seen so many really great looking group of uh, group of five hires flame out. Uh, like we saw it with Willie Taggart, although he was at, he was at Oregon for, for what, like a month, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's actually kind of funny. He was um, here for the duration of this podcast, basically. Yeah. It's, it was, that was wild, but like, you know, we, I feel like we've seen hires like that kind of flame out. So I'm a little, little hesitant. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, we know he can coach ball and he's got those recruiting relationships already built in. So I think that'll help him and give him a little bit of a um, head start. But it's a different animal at, at LSU than, than ULL. Like Lane Kiffin's kind of got a good trial run at that in Ole, at Ole Miss, which is a, you know, it's run like a big program. Penn State certainly is. Like, you know, they'll get 100,000 people out for – for a game like it's you know he he knows these programs um and so does kiffin he was also the other thing that helps kiffin for me is that he was at alabama um and kind of was you know a cog in the machine for a few years i think that's really useful experience that has helped other guys so like i think i think it's i think it's those three guys are the guys i'm looking at as well as you know luke fickle as a potential other option Ohio State experience, big program experience, um, has done a ridiculous job at Cincinnati. But his like the offense, you know, that they kind of run is is super dry. Uh, but then again, like you know, he's running one of the best defenses in the country, so you know it's all right. But like those are, I think those are the four names, and my big two are Kiffin and Franklin. And what about? And I'm, I'm genuinely asking because I don't watch a lot of Oregon football. But what about Cristobal? I mean, Chris. Well, Chris Ball's a very good recruiter, uh, and he hired Joe Moorhead, which is really cool because Joe Moorhead rules. But like, I mean, Chris Ball's fine. Chris Ball would be a good hire. He'd be a, he's a CEO type coach. I don't know if LSU w- wants to go that route again. Uh, but again, that's not really the problem. It's how he you know operated the the program that was the problem. But like, I mean, Chris Ball's fine. 
you know, I think he certainly recruited at an elite level, but like, I don't know why he would leave Oregon. Like, or Oregon is is a similarly big job. He's solid there. Um, like, he doesn't seem to be super keen on leaving. Like, didn't Auburn go after him really hard? Uh, I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, I feel like they did. I don't remember, but like, yeah. I, Crystal Ball would be fine. Like, it, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have a meltdown if it's Crystal Ball. I will have a meltdown if it's Jimbo Fisher, but I won't have a meltdown if it's Crystal Ball. Yeah, uh, I, I'll lose my mind if it's Jimbo. I've, I'll also, um, speaking of Penn State former head coaches, a lot of people are floating um, Bill O'Brien's name to LSU, and that one. That's a and bad. Maybe, and, and and yeah, maybe maybe it's just uh the Houston Texan stuff is rubbing me the wrong way, but No, that uh, wasn't that was less his fault. That was sort of Jack Easterby little fingering his way through the organization um and kind of destroying it from within. But like like Bill O'Brien has a, was in college for like five minutes a decade ago. Granted, what he did was incredible and very admirable, but like that's that's not enough for me. I mean, he's been an Alab like you're really crowning this guy after his Alabama team is, you know, like has lost a game like five five games into the season. You're already crowning this coordinator who's running somebody else's system. Like the shadow staff keeps that system year to year. Like being Alabama's play caller is is pretty easy. Yeah, so we like could, we could probably do it. You could you could definitely do it. I probably. I mean, yeah, just give well. me the call sheet, man. I'll just point to the play. I'll say, all right, Bryce Young, go throw it fifty yards to wide open Jameson Williams. That was easy. Yeah. So like you don't get you don't really get points to that for that. Although like the 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 difference with him and Sarkeesian is that Sarkeesian has been a successful head coach before and was undone by you know non football issues, um, you know which I'm totally sympathetic to and I certainly admire his his um ability to get those under control and kind of get back out there. But like, we knew that Steve Sarkeesian was good independently. And, and I think we do. And I think Bill O'Brien is fine independently, but like, you know, is he really, he's such an unknown. I think at this point that that's, that seems silly. He's all, he was also a terrible general manager. Uh, and you have to be the general manager of your team in college. Yeah. That's, that's why it's not working for, Working for me if uh, if Scott Woodward goes that way, but apparently that's that's someone that's caught his eye, and uh, you know Scott Woodward probably doesn't listen to this podcast. If he does, that'd be cool. And if you do, Scott, maybe maybe not that. Now, um, if, it, if your first calls aren't Kiffin or Franklin, you're doing this wrong. Yeah, um, we're running a little long, Max. Let's let's kind of re or pre not preview, but is there anything on? Is there anything on the field, football-wise, you're looking forward to with Florida, or are you just fascinated like I am with crowd reception and how loud are the boos going to sound on your TV? I want to see how uh, I want to see how many times Dan Mullen is going to call that freeze speed option thing they call, where they like you know the quarterback freezes like he's going to mesh with the running back on a regular inside run and then runs a speed option. Like it's so easy to just isolate LSU's defensive end because you know what front they're going to be running. So, you know, you can isolate the defensive end. You can bring in uh, an arc blocker around to take out a linebacker on a scrape exchange if you need to. And, and you know, then you're good. So, like, the, I, I just want to see how much how much mileage he's able to get 
out of all that perimeter option stuff. Like he's he's gonna run it over and over, I think. You know, and if not, he's gonna he's gonna run something else. Like they've got a lot of stuff in the run game that they do that attacks teams like this. Like I went back and watched the Dak Prescott 2014 game because that was, you know, Dan Mullen facing a similar similar team up front with what they do. And it was just I mean, that option stuff just it the spread option just kills these kind of fronts. It's it's going to be rough. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's very, it's kind of interesting to watch just like these, you know, easy schematic matchups and watch these, you know, good coaches tee off on them. Yeah. And I, I think Dan probably learned that regardless of how much in a tailspin a team may or may not be in, you should probably still play your, uh, your, your best guys, not hold them out because, you know, maybe the JV team pops you, and that's certainly what happened last year. Uh, be a real shame if LSU's JV team beat Florida again. I would, I would absolutely hate to see that happen. That would be the funniest um, thing in the world, honestly. I, I would laugh <laughs> way harder than the last time. Like, even though it, LSU won that game because a guy threw a shoe, and that's the funniest thing ever, I would laugh harder this time. This team is worse. Yeah, this this team is worse, and and frankly, that Florida this Florida team's worse too. So yeah, they are way worse. Who knows? Although they're um, better defensively. So, like, that's – oh, the other thing is, like, Todd Grantham is going to blitz their empty protections to hell. It's going to be – that's going to be kind of funny to watch, too. Oh, man, this kind of – it's it's going to be bad. Um, but hopefully it'll be funny, at least. Maybe not for uh, for Orgeron and the players, but, you know, maybe for us it'll be funny. Um that's probably about all the time we got for this week, guys. Hopefully next week we'll have the whole crew back. Uh, and hopefully we're not doing 20 minutes of coaching change stuff because something would have happened. But at this point, it feels like if it would have happened already, they would have done something. But we can save that discussion for another time. Um, thanks, as always, for hanging out with us, guys. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.